You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the show. It is Friday the 29th of July and here I am coming to you from Qatar Goodwood Festival day four beautiful beautiful day hottest day of the week not a cloud in the sky brilliant performance from Nashua yesterday and Holly Doyle reflect on that and all the other news with Richie Passad later in the program first of all though important news for you Desert Crown the derby winner he's picked up an injury and he is very likely to miss the remainder of the season with all roads now leading to 2023 he will stay in training the injury is not a particularly serious one. News now from the racing manager to Saeed Sahail, the owner, Bruce Raymond. Well, it's, it, 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 it's healing well. It's not, it is a very it's a minor injury, enough to just stop Michael um, preparing him for the uh, mid, mid-summer races. And um, we were hoping to get him ready for the maybe back end for the ARC or, or the champion stakes. And that's in Michael's hands. It, it, it depends how, how things go with him. Um, so... I must stress it is a minor injury. I mean, we're we're nearly in August now. Um, if he's if he needs rest and he's he's on the easy list, and knowing the way Sir Michael operates, he's not he's not going to be rushing him back to the track. I'm guessing. No, that's the, yes, the difficult the difficulty is is. Uh, would he have time to to prepare him, um, and uh, which probably is doubtful. Uh, and so, if he doesn't make the rest of the season, obviously we, we, we'd all be incredibly sad because it, it's such a great story. And he's one of those horses that everyone in the sport has really kind of invested in. Are you pretty confident that he'll be back for next year if the injury heals well enough? Oh, 100%. 100%, yes, for sure. Um, definitely be back for, ne- for next year. Uh, I don't know what the programme is. I, th- I know Sa- Saeed would like to take him to Dubai for the Shima Classic, um, but that's entirely up to him and Sir Michael. I, you know, I would just... We don't know. You, the trouble with the Shima Classic, it's a great race also for kudos for, win- for winning it uh, over there, but... You, you have to wait. You miss some of the uh, early season races, don't you? You have to give them a good rest afterwards. Um, so it's okay if you win, but that's it. So I, 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 that's that's the preparation. That's what is probably probably Saeed is looking towards um, Dubai with him, and pretty confident he'll get there. So really, it's it, it, would you say it's all about 2023 now? It's planning for planning for 2023. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Bruce, thanks so much for your time. Not at all. See you later. Thank you. Bruce Raymond there. And Rishi, I guess what it goes to show is that clearly this is a horse who's not been dead straightforward to get to the races. It wasn't that easy to get him to his trial this season. Sometimes you've got to press on when, when the moment takes you. Otherwise, otherwise, that derby wouldn't have been won. Indeed. But we're talking about in Sir Michael Stout and Side to Hale and Bruce Raymond, people who are generally traditionalists and they respect 
the, the big races that historically have crowned champions and they were determined. And if you look through their history, you know, um, they're quite keen to run their best horses in, that, in those races as long as those horses are fit and well enough to compete. So it wasn't a surprise that they were taking the opportunity to run him in the Dante, even though Sir Michael Stout prefaced the Dante run by saying that he wasn't going to be 100% and that it would bring him on enough in order to get him to the derby in peak form. And certainly his dismissive performance of his rivals that day suggested that we were dealing with a, a potential champion on our hands. Uh, it's just really disappointing that we won't get to see more of him this season, but we know uh, that you know, everyone's going to do what's best for the horse. They took the chance when they had it. Hopefully, they'll get another chance again in 2023. Uh, it's, been, it's been a little disappointing for, for some of the, the big star three-year-olds the last few weeks, with Westover disappointing, Emily Upjohn disappointing, uh, in spiral getting beaten. But yesterday, we saw Nashua continuing to blossom, to bloom, to flourish, to develop. The partnership between she and Holly Doyle is one that is starting to gather some traction. There, were, there was a lot of significance within yesterday's Nassau Stakes, Rish. Yeah, a lot of significance. Obviously, the performance was uh, hugely impressive in the context of her opponents. Personally, I didn't think it was a very strong renewal of the Nassau Stakes, but we have got a horse who is going forward. And the way she quickened out from the back of the field to uh, go past her rivals in eye-catching style was, was certainly impressive. Um, but it, it was <laughs> the thing that struck a lot of people, and I think certainly struck me, um, was the effusive comments uh, that uh, John Gosden um, described, used to describe Holly Doyle after the race, that is perhaps the most interesting aspect of the, of the whole Nashua-Holly uh, Doyle-John and Thady Gosden combination. Yeah, it's interesting this, isn't it? He really did, he really did go big extolling her virtues as a, as a person and as a rider, which you know, are sentiments that almost everybody in horse racing agrees with really talented, really likeable, really hardworking. Um, and he wasn't, certainly wasn't damning it with faint phrase either. I guess yeah. what you'd like to see now is her getting some more rides from, from that stable that aren't necessarily ones associated with that retainer. Indeed. I think she's had six winners from 16 rides for John and Thady Gosden. I believe she's had just over 30 rides in total for, for the Gosden team. Um, but yes, the way John Gosden speaks about yeah, and of course, we have to remember, it's all within the context of all that's gone on this season and the whole Frankie Dottori situation and the fact that, you know, when she won the French Oaks, he was again uh, speaking so highly of, of Holly Doyle. And we're all, you know, we're all human and we all allow these things to infiltrate our minds. And there's certainly a school of thought that suggests that one day Holly Doyle might get the job one day as a stable jockey to, to John and Thady Gosden, which would be uh, a, a significant step forward for the sport to have uh, what is arguably one of the most powerful stables in the world have um, a female rider as their number one, as their number one jockey. So yes, we're all playing that, playing that tune and playing that scenario out in our head. Uh, so yeah, it would add a little bit more uh, fuel to the fire were, John and David Gosden to offer her a few more rides on non-Imad Al-Sagar horses. Well, you might have thought that the biggest cheer at Glorious Goodwood this year was for Baid or perhaps Stradivarius and Kiprios and Trushan after their heroics in the, in the Goodwood Cup. In fact, when Ashley Wichard won the Magnolia Cup, the charity race yesterday uh, for female riders, the cheer was um, 
quite simply enough to take the roof off the grandstand, mainly from her own family, it has to be said, uh, who were out in force. We spoke earlier in the week on the podcast, Ashley. I said, given your experience, we should all lump on. We should have done. You won by my miles. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, what an experience that was. They told me I had to get a good start, and so that's what I was trying to focus on. <laughs> How 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 was the how was the whole the whole experience the whole day? Did it live up to everything you could have hoped for? Oh, Amor, Amor, I was so I just wanted to embrace every moment of it. Um, I was quite quiet, I think, on the day. A lot of the girls were sort of talking and uh, you know and, and, and laughing and joking. And I found myself going quite quiet and just taking it all in, listening to what George was saying on the course walk. Um, and yeah just but it was unbelievable um, I was in shock <laughs> <laughs> and you did get the good start on dark shot um, and they didn't rename the horse which was nice because sometimes the sponsors rename the horses but he he stayed as dark shot and he he never saw, never saw another rival at what point did you think well this is all going a bit too easily um, probably halfway down I thought I, I looked around um I thought, Christ, they're quite far off me. Um, and so I just thought, right, okay, George said, try and maintain your the rhythm. And that's that's what I did. Really. <laughs> I didn't really know what else to do. Um, so, yeah. You maintained the rhythm beautifully. You won. Um, the headline today is that you took the knee before the race and your fellow riders followed you they they looked and then and then they followed you i've seen the video you've done with world horse racing where you'd spoken to them a little bit about it beforehand just tell us your sort of thought processes leading up to that uh so i had the uh vision of taking the knee back in february after i knew that i was going to be riding in the magnolia cup i sort of um I sort of woke up one morning and just i i knew that that's what i had to do um and then obviously it took it was just taken a while to think how was the best way to do it um how you know what was the best way to talk to the women about it because you know you've got to appreciate everybody comes from different backgrounds and experiences and i didn't want to put anybody under pressure um but it was important to me to do it uh, so i think my biggest anxiety was was talking to the women and sort of executing that you know the race i could then think about afterwards to be honest and you got evidently a pretty positive response as well, a pretty pretty positive re- reaction. Yeah, I, I, and that's what I wanted. I, I just wanted it to be a, a, seen as a positive thing for racing. I don't I don't want um, sort of. I'm not here to rub anybody up the wrong way. I'm just here to encourage more more black females, more black males into the sport, um, and you know make the sport more inclusive. Uh, your your daughter Phoenix, who we spoke about the other day, uh, she she's become a bit of a, a bit of a media star in her own right. <laughs> she, I think she'd had a few by the time she um, got the interviews going. <laughs> she was uh, honestly, she is brilliant, and, and just to hear her talking about me the way she did, I'm just so proud, and I, I'm full of pride. And she is just such an amazing, amazing young woman. Um, I'm just glad I was able to do that in front of her and for her to be old enough to appreciate what you know what's happening i suppose when you've had an experience like this uh you sort of think what what next or do you just 
go back to go back to everyday life? Well, I'll be back on the yard tomorrow. Um, but yeah, I, I, whatever happens, happens. I don't, I don't know. Like, I'm sure there'll be opportunities that turn up, and then I can decide if that's the right thing for me or not. I guess. And I'm quite patient. I've spent the last six to eight months uh, working on this and training for it. So it'd be nice to have a little bit of downtime, but um, I'll certainly be, you know, looking for the next thing very shortly. <laughs> Ashley Wichard there, Rishi's with me. Uh, quite an important moment there with Ashley uh, taking the knee before the Magnolia Cup yesterday. Rishi, Lee Motta has written about it very nicely in the, in the Racing Post this morning and there was a, a nice video that Jeffrey and, and his team from World Horse Racing put together sort of explaining uh, some of the, the, the build-up to the race and some of her thought processes as well. She's been an incredibly engaging interviewee uh, the last few days. I've got to spend a bit of time with her last night as well. Um, could have quite an important role to play in the sport. I think so. Um, uh, what what she did yesterday, I thought, took a bit of courage actually, Nick. Um, you know, she, she took the knee knowing full well that taking the knee is going to create reaction, both positive and negative. And I know Lee wrote about it, but the negativity is a hard thing to, to accept coming your way when you do something like that, because there are people who are quick to judge. And I still always respond to the fact that these people judge what she did and, and the fact that she took the knee in, uh, in, in, in company with all her fellow riders. And, and when she did that, you know, they all took the knee with her. Um, yet there are people who find that extremely offensive or they're, they're triggered by it. And I also do those people, please have a look at why you're triggered by it and not by the fact that they've taken the knee because they're not harming anyone and they're showing their solidarity with a cause. Um, and yet it still fires off these, the, the, the reaction that it did. But there were also some positive reactions to it. And most importantly, those positive reactions might just help uh, you know, increase the diversity, inclusion, and allow for the fact that someone like Ashley uh, is is quite happy to stand up and represent, um, and that's that's really important. And she said it herself. You know, she she's quite happy to do that. She's quite happy to be a representative, uh, and hopefully encourage um, more people of ethnic minorities, more people of color, uh, to get involved in the sport. More women from ethnic minorities and, and, uh, and, and women of colour to get involved in the sport. So why is that a bad thing? It's not. It's great. More, more uh, power to her. All right, day four of Glorious Goodwood. Time for a World Pool update from Jamie Hart. Overall, Jamie, how's the week looking? Well, I mean, it's fantastic. We just had our three days of uh, Glorious Goodwood uh, Whirlpool. Last year, over those three days, we had 59.2 million bet into the pools. This year, 97.4 million, so up nearly two-thirds. And that, you know, obviously, from the money from that, that goes back to, you know, the race course gets its share of that. That goes back into prize money and really puts kind of British racing back on the map. These kind of, And that shows the kind of what, what potential we have have when we get other other pools betting into British racing it really does help us out and have you been able to uh, intuit any more uh, trends this week are you starting to build up a, 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 a an important pattern of how people are playing the world pool well definitely I, I think that I mean the biggest value has come in the in the exotic so you're talking about the exact uh, the trifecta so just for example the exact 
20 out of the 22 races the exact pay bigger than the, the, the CSF, the, the, the bookies forecast. In the tri, the trifecta, 15 out of 18 beat the tricast. I think in the just versus SP, 18 out of the 22 races pay better on the tote. And of course, you know, in the UK, we match. So if you're on course, we we match the SP, so you never get paid less. So you, there's a, it's particularly playing into these exotics. And then the biggest pools are the Quinella, which is picking first and second in either order, and the Quinella Place, which is picking two from the first three. They are the biggest pools. Still, very few British people play into those, but they're both available to people. We call it the Swinger, the Quinella Place over here, if you're looking for it. But those kind, of, there's plenty of value in there. There's there are over a million pound pools almost every race. So people are playing those much more. I think it's, it's looking at those exotics and building up your bets. I think we're a very win-only, each win-and-each-way market in the UK. And perhaps, you know, on particularly these World Bowl days, we need to open our eyes to the kind of money that's in some of these exotics. Well, it's a great pleasure to be joined in person here at Goodwood by the official milliners of the Nick Luck Daily Podcast, <laughs> Lisa Tan. Looking magnificent. And you, you can't be the official milliner without coming in in a headpiece that is going to dazzle, Lisa. Oh, thank you very much, Nick. This is actually one of my pieces from my coast collection, but I've zhuzhed it up a little bit with some extra pale blue flowers to match the Lormorans colours. Yes, so explain to everybody today what the whole pale blue theme is about. So there is a best dress competition which is run by Lormorans, uh, and their label on their wines is pale blue and white. Right. So they're encouraging people to dress in those colours to enter the competition. And there are some incredible prizes to be won, which is a trip for two to Cape Town in January to go to the Lormorans queen plate over there and i believe the winner from last year is actually being flown here to goodwood for their prize so it's a nice little backwards and forwards trip fantastic well i have i have dressed accordingly you absolutely have i i did think maybe that was an official tie even it looks very spot on thank you very much um talk to me a little bit about the style at goodwood what does goodwood mean from a style perspective for you it's more relaxed in saying that it doesn't mean that it's like you know, jeans and a t-shirt, anything like that. It is, it's always just best described as a garden party with racing tacked on, which I feel like does a bit of a disservice to the actual racing. <laughs> but it is more of that vibe. It is definitely more low-key than what you would wear to Royal Ascot. It's more comfortable. Uh, usually the weather is a little bit better as well. And we've got a beautiful day today to be dressed in the most perfect summery dresses, beautiful hats. Uh, you generally wouldn't go too upscale like a Royal Ascot look. You'd, you'd want to wear something a little bit looser, shoes perhaps a little bit lower or a block heel or a wedge. Hats, you probably still want to have a big brim because it is a warm day today, so you want to keep the sun out of your face. And obviously for gentlemen, it means linen suits and uh, Panama hats. And Panama hats, exactly. Now, tell me the, the history of the Panama and why it's particularly relevant to Goodwood. So the legend has it that uh, King Edward VII was the one who decided, let's do away with morning dressing at Goodwood, let's wear something more comfortable, wear the linen suit and the Panama hat. Around the same time, Teddy Roosevelt visited the construction of the Panama Canal and he noticed everyone wearing Panama hats, which they were sort of known as a Panama hat at that stage, but they're actually woven in Ecuador. However, they would pass through Panama on their way out to being exported, which is why people were calling them Panama hats. So he had been photographed at the uh, construction of the Panama Canal in this hat. And that kind of, you know, I guess back in that day, it went viral. <laughs> and around the same time, it started popping up here. We have also with us um, our official, I don't know what to call you, Vintner, sommelier? Um, uh, Neil Phillips, the wine tipster, of course. Because as I said earlier on in the week, it's not just Lydia Hislop that gets 
all the fizz on this show. Uh, what have you got for us today, Neil? Wow, okay. I love that whole piece, list. That was great. Very interesting. We're heading off to Kent and West Sussex, very local here, with Gusbourne English Sparkling, and they have vineyards right next to the Goodwood Estate. Uh, Beautifully done. And uh, Thank you. Uh, this is their Brute Reserve 2018. Lisa, I'm sure you wanted to have a taste here. I would love to have a taste. Thank you. Uh, so what we have, Gusbourne, I mean, it's very interesting. They've got 30 hectares right next to the Goodwood Estate here. They've got 60 hectares in Kent, in Appledore. And this is their sort of classic Brute Reserve, made okay. with Chardonnay, Pinot Noir and Meunier. And interesting about them, all the fruit comes from their two estates and they're fiercely independent so and actually the other thing to say is on all of their wines they have a vintage so this is not a blend across multiple years this is 2018 brute reserve and it's very nice too because it's mm. what do you think lisa cheers <laughs> cheers yeah i'm gonna get get the verdict as with all these english sparklings it's it's pretty dry, isn't yes, it? It is pretty dry, and that's their style as well. So, but what you do get is that sort of lovely, sort of fresh, appley fruit coming through with the Chardonnay. But it's a bit more muscular, this one, because you've got the Pinot Noir, that sort of red fruit character coming through here. It's beautifully made. They do make smart wines at Gospel, I have to say. I do love an English sparkling. I think they're very underrated. And yeah, you're right. This is beautiful, fresh, bubbly. It's everything that you want for a day like today. The cat's out of the bag, though, about English sparkling now, isn't it? Because it, 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 it's not cheap. No, no, this, this and Gus, you know, Gusborne are very much, they're very group one for me. And, but the, the cat is out the bag. But people, things are developing all the time, Nick. And people just need to appreciate the, the fact these are really high quality wines. They're excellent wines. And I'm just going to also give you a chance to taste this rosé as well from them. Because I think they've really nailed this rosé. I really do. And, and the rosé side of sparkling, I think, has been more difficult to get right. Um, interesting enough and I think it's taking much longer time to get that sort of balance right here what you're doing here is actually to get the colour you're adding some Pinot Noir to mm-hmm. get that colour so that's how you get your, your, red, your rosé colour okay so the, do, you, do you like a pink champagne? absolutely I do <laughs> I like all champagne to be honest with you although I do love a Blanc de Blanc as well so I think we have some pink English spot thank you very much coming through here. I'm going to try this there's a beautiful pale salmon colour here a little bit of onion skin in there as well in terms of colour there you go Nick and just perfect for today as you so beautifully described Lisa and what do you think of that just absolutely yeah stunning nice and dry still I think the one thing with the rosé champagne I prefer it that it's more dry rather than on the sweeter side I know some people talk about strawberries but I like it nice and bone dry so this is gorgeous well much as the summer has been in this country a bone dry English (laughs) English sparkling and it's uh, doing the job very nicely. Lisa, great to see you. Great to see you too, Nick. Well, our friends at Great British Racing International, the international arm of the uh, promotional wing of British Racing, have released a series of videos called Be A Part Of It, which showcasing the joys of ownership in, in Great Britain against a, quite a challenging backdrop. You'll have heard the, the interview I did with Peter Saville the day before yesterday. Uh, Minty Farquhar uh, joins me now from, from GBRI. Minty, uh, just tell me a little bit more about, about the videos, what's in them. So this is a series of five videos that will run between this week and the the start of the British yearling season, um, yearling sale season at the end of August. Um, 
and the videos are essentially highlighting the reasons um, why owning a horse in training in Britain is a uniquely enjoyable experience. Uh, the first episode that we released this week uh, touches upon the, the history and the heritage um, of British racing. Obviously, we all know that this kind of this underpins the British racing experience and the. the the historical kind of significance of British racing is 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 fantastic and so enjoyable. Um, the following episodes really um, hone in on why it's so enjoyable for the horses to be trained in this country, um, for owners to you know get in a morning at the with trainers that you know you don't necessarily get in other countries. For example, um, there's there's all sorts of other stuff we touch upon in the series. So these will be released every Monday from now until, as I say, just before the Golf's UK uh, Premier Yelling Sale on the 23rd and 24th of August, um, and we we look forward to. Um, showcasing this. And presumably what you're really trying to reach is um, owners abroad in other countries saying to them, come here, look what we've got to offer. Yeah, we know we don't have the greatest prize money, we're, we're aware of that, but there are selling points. Yeah, I mean, British racing is all about the experience um, and it's we are nothing without the, the race day experience, the experience in the, in the yards you can get going down in the morning. Um, the, the, the facilities that horses and also not just the, the experience and, and how much owners can enjoy it but also the horses and how much they enjoy being in training here it's the, the facilities and the landscape the horses are trained in this country is, is second to none and um, the, the series will hopefully highlight this and yes the idea is to try and um, promote the idea of owners all around the world and particularly those in America who have, who have um, kind of uh, bought into our yearling sales in the autumn so um, with such enthusiasm to, to consider even not necessarily having their whole strings over here but being a part of such a historic and, and enjoyable uh, experience over here in Britain and, and being able to come over in the summer and enjoy some of the amazing festivals that we have in this country like like Glorious Goodwood or Cattle Goodwood Festival that we're at this week which um, is, is just in terms of race day experience it's just incredible. Now, I'm going to go a little bit off-piste here, and not completely off-piste, and, and this, might be, this might be complete anathema to any listeners uh, who are tuning in from the United States, for example, where Australian soap operas are not a particularly big deal, though doubtless you'll have heard of some of the, the people we're going to talk about. Uh, today marks the final ever episode, after 37 years, of the, of the cult hit Australian soap opera Neighbours screening in the UK, where it's always been more popular than I think it has even even in its native country. Um, I, I, I'm a huge fan. Rishi's a huge fan and has been over the years. Um, but one man who is a racehorse owner and would normally be at Goodwood, but he, he's based in, in Hong Kong, so is, is having to, to stay in Hong Kong because of the quarantine regs there, is Bruce Ingram. And he's an even bigger fan than us, so much so that he actually named a horse after a neighbour's character. Um, Bruce, thank you for joining me uh, this morning. Tell me the story of Mr. Udagawa. Um, well, Mr. Udagawa, I think, and if they'd listened to you, Nick, um, when he made his uh, first race at Goodwood, not at the uh, Glorious Goodwood Festival, but I think at a much more minor evening meeting, you pointed out that uh, Mr. Udagawa had made eight um, appearances on Neighbours between 1988 and 92. And uh, I've just unfortunately turned 50 years of age. So if you cast your mind back to the late 1980s and early 1990s, when Neighbours was particularly popular and people often watched it twice during the day, I never actually quite watched it twice, I thought it'd be interesting to try and think of a name of a horse together with uh, my co-owner, um, which would maybe get some bells ringing with uh, people of our, our vintage. So I checked around and I thought, 
you know, said to my friends, can you remember the name of um, the character Mr. Udi Gower? And they sort of rattled and they sort of, they sort of recognised the name, but they weren't quite sure why. And then whether or not they're now in the law or in business or whatever, they also, the, the penny dropped when they thought, ah, yes, Mr. Udi Gower, the owner of Lassitus um, and the boss of Paul Robinson. So it, uh, it, was, it was a name that uh, resonated and uh, we thought was quite amusing at the time. And he won one race at Nottingham, um, and I remember watching it in a Corals and Canary Wharf. So it wasn't quite the glamorous finish that I'd hoped for, but at least he won a race. Paul Robinson really has been the linchpin character of Neighbours through its 37 years, um, flitting in and out, but mainly in, and uh, portrayed, portrayed with, with, with beautiful nuance by the one and only Stefan Dennis. Um, Bruce, I, one of the great uh, highlights of my life was when Stefan Dennis spent a brief period in London. Uh, I went for a job interview in an office block in Regent Street, and uh, he walked into the, the elevator holding a, a, a large black bin bag uh, and, and, <laughs> and nodded at me. And, and I, I was in a lift with Stefan Dennis. It was a, it was a special moment. Well, I'm, 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 there's something you and I share, Nick, because I've actually met the great man as well. Um, I was at a bar in London in about 1995. I just started my first job. And um, it actually come from, there was a British Heart Foundation race uh, charity evening, which is based on horse racing. This friend of mine, Nick Pepia, you might have come across him. And British Heart Foundation race evening, which was hosted by Henry Kelly, obviously a great enthusiast of the horse racing um, <clears throat> area. And um, that evening, at the end of the evening, I thought, well, I, I went up to Henry Kelly and I said, what am I? I am a mountain. I was first conquered in 1916. Um, and are you going to play or pass? To which he wasn't particularly impressed. Um, did you? Did you not? Did for gold hero? And then went to a bar and bumped into Stefan Dennis. So we had two lions of the late 80s and early 90s. Uh, daytime TV action when, frankly, as either at school or university, we should have been doing some work. So slightly, uh, slightly embarrassing, but that is actually a true story. You didn't say, Dieter, you're in the three zone, will you play your pass? <laughs> I did say, are you going to play or pass? But he, he wasn't particularly amused. He actually said, am I going to hit or not what? Is what he actually said. <laughs> uh, <laughs> back to, back to, to, to Neighbours. Um, it's a sad day today, isn't it? Well, I think it's the end of an era. I mean, based on, I mean, to be fair, I don't think I've watched Neighbours since sort of 1993. I think it's the end of an era. And um, I, I never actually saw it. I think it moved to Channel 5 from the BBC. But it, it was a, I think, you know, I think the Australians did a very good job of uh, exporting what's, what's good about Australia, what we think is good about Australia. But, you know, people of our age, Nick, I know you're a little bit younger than me, we would all know the important characters from Ramsey Street from, from the 1980s. And it's passing is... Uh, is, is sad indeed, but we remember Bouncer, Mrs. Mangle, Joe Mangle, um, Kylie, you know, all of them. So it's, uh, it is sad, but if Channel 5 had pulled the plug, then, then that is a shame. But it's good to see the great heroes from Harold Bishop you know, coming back to celebrate the last episode. And I think it's actually a time that if one thinks back to all those years ago, there was a period when there were actually more soap operas than there were, act than there were actors. So you'd often find Harold Bishop appearing in Neighbours and Prisoner Cell Block H mm. at the same time. I think something like that, but you know, it is sad you're right it is sad but um yeah um, end of an era and of course the best bit about neighbors was the fact that a uh, a character could have a different actor one day to the next which was uh, which was always my favorite i mean lucy robinson she pretended she was blind that time and then and then a week later she she came back as an entirely different actress well i think it was bouncer's dream wasn't it yes bouncer's dream um i think that's probably where we should leave it bruce ingram thank you very much
Okay, my pleasure, Nick. Take care. Uh, no bigger fan of the great soap opera than Rishi Passad. Uh, Rishi, it's a, sad, it's, a, it's a very sad day. It's a poignant day. Sadness filled my heart. But I'm going to record it. I can't watch it tonight. Um, but I'm going to record it. And I'm going to go home and I'm going to savour every last moment of what has been such a fabulous, fabulous show over the years. I know you and I both have enjoyed it. Um, and it, it <coughs> sort of sort of marked my days at school. Uh, and that's probably why I, I love it so much. And so many great characters. So many great characters. Um, marked my school days, my university days, and a lot thereafter, I think. Uh, and, of course, you're always, you're always fond of uh, TV shows of that period. You're also fond of of horses who you grew up watching and, and they leave a much more a much more meaningful impression on you perhaps than something you saw last year or the or the year before and when a horse reaches the age of 30 that really is quite something particularly when they've had a, a, a hard racing career step forward swain who passed away at old friends in in kentucky uh, the day before yesterday what a horse he was oh uh a magnificent racehorse, a magnificent racehorse. I, I, was, I have to say, I was really sad when I saw the news come through that he passed away uh, yesterday. <clears throat> I know when they get to that age, we, we expect them to, to be coming to the end of their days, but it really hit me harder than, than most, actually. Um, I remember going to the, to the King George in 1997. It poured it down that day at Ascot, and I got absolutely soaked. But I went to watch Pilsudski, who was one of my favourite horses of all time. He was up against Singsfield, Helicio, the art winner, and Swain. And it was, it was so horrible out there. It was really tough. And I thought Pilsudski was going to get to Swain, but <laughs> Swain just ground it out. And that was, the, that was the thing about him. He didn't mind how tough conditions were. He was, he was such a, a willing horse. And the fact that he had such a wonderful career on turf, having won the King George twice, the Coronation Cup, etc., but also on dirt, he, he was only narrowly beaten by Silver Charm in the Dubai World Cup. And we all remember, uh, probably Frank and Vittori remembers it more than anybody else, the Breeders' Cup Classic. Awesome again, Silver Charm, Swain, the old light bulbs, whatever it is that Frankie said at the time. Um, but the one, the one thing that brought a smile to my face yesterday when reading about the news about Swain is that he did spend his, his, his days with his old friends uh, awesome again and Silver Charm at Old Friends which was quite a nice thought Wonderful memories of a super racehorse Rishi what horse are you putting your hopes on for today? Uh, I'm going for Sinjari Nick in the Coral Golden Mile um, I thought he should have won an Ascot he did win at Sandown he still probably I feel got uh, something in him off his, um, his marker 108 Rish thanks so much thank you guys for Cheers, listening Nick. That was Friday the 29th of July. We will see you again on Monday, and Charlotte will be here from 9 o'clock this evening with the Saturday edition. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.